0: I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. On Wednesday, San Francisco Mayor Lyndon Breed gave her State of the City address. It was held outside at a housing development site in Mission Rock. It was the first time she gave the annual address to a live audience since the pandemic began, and she praised the city for how far it has come.
1: The first in the country to shut down, and we saw one of the lowest death rates in the country and the highest vaccination rates. We did that. San Francisco did that.
0: Standing maskless in front of a crowd, Breed's tone was optimistic, but she also acknowledged that there's a lot of work ahead.
1: We cannot sugarcoat it. We have work to do. Our recovery will not be easy. It will not be quick. But it is coming. It's coming. San Francisco is coming
0: back. Breed pledged to confront San Francisco's most pressing and controversial issues, including public safety and an economic recovery. She was also hell-bent on pushing back on the ways San Francisco has been portrayed to the rest of the country.
1: You know, there's a lot of noise about what's happening in our city. You see it in the headlines, often in the right-wing media. They love to talk about San Francisco, don't they? You see it on social media. You see one video take off as if it's telling the whole truth
0: about who we are. Chronicle City Hall reporter Mallory Mensch was there, and she joined me from Mission Bay to talk about the highlights of the mayor's speech and what she signaled as next steps on some of the city's most contentious issues. As the city prepares to lift the indoor mask mandate on Friday, something Breed enthusiastically shouted out in her speech, I'll also check in with Chronicle Health reporter Erin Alday about the mayor's tone. Is the pandemic over? Is it really time to return to our pre-COVID lives? Or is it just a political talking point? Let's start with Mallory Mensch coming to you from inside her car at Mission Bay right after the mayor's speech. Mallory, Mayor Breed opened her State of the City address by declaring that San Francisco is coming back. What's making her feel so optimistic?
2: She pointed to a few things, one being that she definitely chose the location of where she was giving her speech specifically and that she was literally standing in front of a building that is under construction. It's a huge development for housing and retail in Mission Bay. Look behind me at what's being built right here at Mission Rock. One of these
1: buildings will be affordable housing. Another is dedicated to life sciences. And the third is the future headquarters of Visa on what used to be a parking lot. That's the nature of
2: cities. We endure. And we adapt. She wants to say this is what San Francisco is doing and this is what we want to see more of. She also uh, well-timed it with the city uh, announcing today that they would be uh, dropping their vaccine mandate requirement for businesses. So she emphasized that, look, we're recovering. We're coming out of COVID. You know, we did well in responding to that. Mm -hmm. And... Before we dive into the specifics that she
0: laid out on a variety of issues, what was sort of your general impression of her speech? Was it as you expected in terms of her tone, or was anything surprising?
2: I don't think it was super surprising to me. Uh, She she had a pretty balanced tone. Obviously, she is charismatic. She was enthusiastic. She's optimistic. That's obviously her job as a mayor too, to paint, uh, progress and success in the city. But she was also realistic about some of the challenges that San Francisco is facing. The only thing that I was, uh, a little more surprised on, although I had warning that she wouldn't be focusing too much on the drug overdose crisis and the situation in the Tenderloin. Um, the crisis with uh, nearly two people a day dying of overdoses in the city is what prompted her state of emergency in the Tenderloin. But she's also talked a ton about that in the past couple months, and a, a lot uh, have, of ink has been spilled over that. So she focused on some other things uh, in her speech today.
0: Mm-hmm. And Speaking of public safety, let's dig into that a bit more. You know, leading up to this address, Breed has made it clear she wants to leverage more policing in problem areas like the Tenderloin. Does she double down on that?
2: She definitely uh, did emphasize starting at the top. San Francisco just needs more police officers. The city is actually more than 500 officers short from a staffing level. That was recommended by a consulting group. And she said they're needed to keep people safe, to hold criminals accountable, to protect victims. But she also um, walked a finer line and said, yes, we need more police, but we also need more alternatives. Uh, Her administration has invested in some of that, such as uh, teams of mental health professionals that go out and respond to calls of people in mental health crises. She also emphasized that the police department is working on reforms, which have been recommended by the federal and the state government. And she also said Separate from that, we're investing in programs, we're investing in communities and uh, particularly to address inequities in the black community um, because she said she wants to address uh, some some root causes of crime. So one thing in, in particular that uh, she said, which I think really summed it up and I think really sums up her her perspective on this is we can do it all and we don't have to choose.
1: Let's be the national model for reform, for alternatives And for safety. We can do it all and we don't have
0: to choose. And what does she have to say about homelessness and housing crisis? Another very important topic in the city. We know the city has already poured millions of dollars into this issue. Did the mayor speak to how current efforts are working?
2: She, of course, touted some of the investments that and progress that has been made, saying we need more subsidized housing. I mean, we need more housing in general to address our housing crisis. We are working on adding treatment beds for mental health and for substance use. Um, But she also, you know, I think I've heard her express in the past, too, that we've poured so much money into this. Like, why hasn't it necessarily uh, moved the needle as much? And the city is uh, currently in the process of investing $1 billion into homelessness. So she said it's it's not just about pouring more resources in, but it's about accountability.
1: I'm done arguing if it's to for people to remain on the streets when we have a place for them to go, because it is not. It just isn't.
2: And, you know, if people refuse services, then maybe we need to bring in police to to push them a little bit more. So she said that she had been discussing with state leaders about changes to mental health law. She didn't mention in the speech the word conservatorship. But I did confirm with her spokesman afterwards that those are the conversations she's, she's having and conservatorship is is Debated on the state level, but it is mandated treatment uh, for people who are considered a danger to themselves or to others or who can't care for their basic needs.
0: At the end of her speech, Breed really emphasized changing the national narrative about San Francisco, this perception that the city is crime riddled and in disarray. She talked about the city telling its own story that it's still a magical and strong city.
1: We are San Francisco. We are loud. We are proud. We are hopeful. And we are resilient, San Francisco. So let's tell them that. Thank you.
0: That kind of messaging would resonate with a lot of San Franciscans, but that's also really important politically for her, right?
2: Definitely it is. The mayor has announced her re-election campaign for next year. She's in the middle of her term now. So she is at a pivotal point, I think, especially as we're emerging from the pandemic and people praised her for the response of San Francisco and being very focused on public health. But now that that's abating, it's apparent that there are other issues in the city which were there all along, have been there for years, but in some cases have worsened, uh, in particular the drug overdose crisis. So she's stepped out, uh, such as in the Tenderloin, to make a statement about that um, and has put herself on the line to show some results which may impact her political future. And as San Francisco in particular is recovering from COVID, uh, there's still struggles to get back tourists, to get back people in hotels, to get back a lot of the remote tech workers into offices downtown, which is critical for San Francisco's future. Uh, And the mayor is definitely trying to improve the image of San Francisco in in the city and also around the country to support that economic recovery.
0: Mallory, I know we're speaking while you're still in the Mission Bay. You stepped aside quickly from your reporting to chat with me. Thanks so much for doing that. I appreciate it. Thank you. Mallory Mensch covers City Hall for The Chronicle. Her story about Mayor Breed's State of the City address is online now at sfchronicle.com and on The Chronicle app. After a quick break, I'll be joined by Chronicle Health reporter Erin Alday. The COVID-19 pandemic was seemingly over in Breed's address. She applauded that everything's been taken off the table in San Francisco, masks and vaccine mandates. Is San Francisco truly ready? We'll talk about that. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. At the start of her State of the City address, Mayor London Breed made this comment about being unmasked, a jab at her critics.
1: It is really great to be outdoors, in person. Uh, the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates, all gone. So if you take pictures and post them, make sure you put a disclaimer there that we removed it in San Francisco so I don't get beat up by the folks on the Internet.
0: In the past, the mayor has been dinged for not following her own city's mask mandates. Chronicle Health reporter Erin Alday joins me now. Erin, what did you make of Breed's remark? Yeah, I would say that definitely jumped right out
3: at me. And that was what she led with. That was, you know, her first sort of foray. And I can imagine, you know, she's standing up there on the stage and staring at a sea of, of, you know, maskless faces. She's not wearing a mask herself. It's it's exciting, right? Like, that's a pretty thrilling moment. And I think it's natural that she wanted to, to bring that up and sort of celebrate that. I think a lot of people celebrating that. The president, you know, certainly... Uh, did the same with his State of the Union address, um, mm-hmm. remarked upon the massless faces. But of course, you know, Mayor Breed has has run into trouble with that in the past. You know, I think it probably says more about her kind of personality and sort of where she's landed in the, this political environment than it does necessarily about sort of the nature of the pandemic. So, you know, I think it, it was perfectly reasonable and and not too surprising to see her kind of take that dig.
0: Yeah, it was an opportunity for her to push back. And I, I understand her reasoning for that. But, you know, she really didn't linger on COVID too long in her address. It's sort of assumed underlying throughout her speech that, you know, we're not just ready to go back to normal, that we're already here. Can we trust a politician to make that assessment? You know, what do the latest data, numbers, statistics say?
3: Yeah, I thought that was the other the other thing that was notable to me, too, is um you know, she she just sort of brushed by it. She was very much talking about the pandemic as though it was something in our past, as though we are now moving on.
1: We announced we are ending vaccine mandates for businesses. You guys don't seem very enthusiastic about that. I, for one, am. I look forward to going to a club to have a good time without my mask. It's time. It's time, Rennell. It's time to open up our eyes. It's time to open up our city. It's time to enjoy our lives after everything we've experienced.
3: But she actually, one thing that I noted, she didn't really talk about what moving on looked like with COVID. Mm-hmm. As, again, referring back to the president, President Biden. You know, he, as part of his State of the Union, had laid out some... You know, steps like next steps. This is where we are in the pandemic. Now, things are looking great. Here's what we still need to do. The mayor didn't really do anything like that. She very much treated it as though this is, you know, we're now kind of beyond this. She even said, we've dropped the last of our mandates. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything's off the table you know, moving on and how, you know, what an opportunity and how exciting that was. I do think that was kind of risky. I think we're looking a lot better now than we have at any other time. And we're in a really good position to roll with and to sort of endure whatever the next, you know, spin is of this pandemic. But I certainly don't think it's, you know, reasonable to say that there aren't going to be any more kind of twists and turns ahead. Mm. You know, we have, you know, one of the big sort of, and this has come from, you know, the president on down to the governor, Governor Newsom to, you know, our local health officials saying, yeah, we're taking masks down now, but just be advised, they're, they're even likely to come back at some point. Um, And even right now, it's still strongly recommended, you know, most, right. pretty much everybody is strongly recommended to keep wearing a mask in a lot of settings. So to kind of put it that plainly seemed a little surprising to me. And I think that there would probably be, you know, I haven't spoken with anybody about it. But I think, there would probably be a few raised eyebrows out there
0: wondering at, at that remark. Yeah. When you say that we're looking really good right now, what are you referring to? Are you referring to our case rates, hospitalization numbers?
3: There's a few things that I, when I say that, that I'm talking about. I think in this moment, yes, we are, things are, are trending in the right direction. Our cases are still plummeting. Our hospitalizations are, are rapidly declining. Deaths are sort of, They're a little bit harder to read, but they're stabilizing and and whatnot. So just in terms of like the actual metrics, we're looking good. But what I'm mostly referring to is just we have such high level of community immunity right now, you know, with each With each surge we go through, it builds up even more because you get some more people infected. Mm -hmm. So we're just we're really protected with our community immunity at this point. We also have much better access to testing, sort of much better support systems in place. People are a lot more, I think, comfortable with this idea of, okay, we have to put our mask back on. Like, it's not necessarily as as sort of roller coaster feeling when things kind of shift like people I feel like are are. Better now, able to sort of know when to shift and take care of themselves. Um, we have great therapeutics that are becoming a lot more widely available. We're just a lot better at handling this. Like we kind of know what we're doing more. We have a lot of the systems and structures in place to to activate when needed. So you know, mostly it's just it's sort sort of like a mindset almost. It's a mindset and a resource situation that makes us a lot better situated now to kind of face whatever comes at us next.
0: Yeah. And starting Friday, March 11th, San Francisco won't require people to provide proof of vaccination or a negative test to enter indoor restaurants, bars, and gyms. How do you feel about that? I mean, I still feel a little bit nervous about it at times, but I'm wondering how you feel.
3: That one in particular doesn't bother me or doesn't make me so nervous, mostly because You know, we're so highly vaccinated in the Bay Area, especially San Francisco. I mean, it's over 85 percent, I think, certainly over 80 percent of the whole population is fully vaccinated. Most of those who are not are little kids. So a lot of those um, policies were put in place to sort of encourage the last holdouts to get vaccinated and that made sense when you were trying to really build up that that vaccination level to to get those kind of last holdouts and so that kind of had become something that was a real burden i think on a lot of restaurants on a lot of businesses and wasn't necessarily producing a big payoff in
0: terms of of increasing public safety and what have we learned about the latest omicron surge now that we're at the tail end of it is it informing anything new about something we should keep in mind about future variants I think
3: one of my big takeaways and I've 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 had this conversation with a few of, of our experts is we kind of did what we should be doing with Omicron where we very quickly identified it it was very quickly identified in South Africa and Botswana very quickly figured out what this variant does you know, that it was causing somewhat milder illness, that it was evading some of our vaccines, but not all of them, you know, what treatments worked. So within like a couple of weeks, you know, we had a pretty good profile of this variant. And then, you know, we had all this information that we could track exactly kind of how the curve was going to work out. And we kind of put together these models, you know, all these, these scientists and data experts put together these models. And, you know, as, as Dr. Bob Wachter said, you know, recently, what surprised him about that surge was actually how unsurprising it was. It really kind of matched with what we had anticipated. And I think that kind of, to me, was was very reassuring in the sense that we now know sort of what this process is. We know what happens when a new variant comes up. We know how to learn about it. We know how to take what we learn and put that into practice so that it has sort of this, you know, minimal impact on our lives. It doesn't cause a lot of, you know widespread severe illness and death and we can respond accordingly. So I think that to me that that felt very reassuring. That was sort of like this test and at least in the Bay Area here we came through it pretty remarkably well.
0: So what remains for us to still be sort of mindful of as Bay Area residents? Are there things we should still practice caution around? You know, I always think about you know the pandemic experience for the immunocompromised population. We still have a responsibility to them, don't we?
3: We do, and I think that that's um, where a lot of sort of the masking issues come from. Um, and that's, I, it's, it's a really tough one because you know it is sort of a lot to ask the entire population to wear masks indefinitely. But that's sort of the easiest, most universal thing we can do right to protect our most vulnerable um and you know i understand that just politically for you know for a lot of reasons that's just that's just not something that we're going to do so it's it's a big complicated issue and it doesn't have an easy solution because there are still you know a lot of just very vulnerable people out there who who don't You know, they don't feel comfortable yet going out and and they feel still feel very much at risk and they are very much at risk. Um, And we do have protective treatments to offer them. We have prophylaxis that we can give and and hopefully some of that will start to become more available. But it's not there's not really an easy solution to that
0: on the horizon. So, Erin, we've gone through together a lot of ups and downs in this pandemic. We've talked about a lot on this show. Do you feel comfortable saying that now we're entering an endemic phase of this pandemic? I
3: personally don't. Um, I think it's way too, I think it's too soon to say that because endemic, the, the definition of it implies is stability, right? And it can be bad stability. It can be a really high level of disease, disease stability that that we don't want, um, or it can be a very low level stability that that doesn't impact our lives at all. Or it can just be somewhere in between, which is probably where this will land. I would say we're not endemic because we don't have that stability. Um, we're hopeful. I think there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of assumptions that we're going, we're about to enter an endemic stage and that after, you know, the post-Omicron that things will stabilize and we'll figure out kind of what that that rhythm looks like. But I think it's definitely premature to say that we are there right now. Are you optimistic
0: that we are heading there?
3: I am. I'm definitely optimistic we're heading there. And I'm, and I, I'm more optimistic that if there is another surge that we're going to roll with it a lot better. Mm -hmm. We're just so well positioned now that, that if, you know, if, and when the next variant comes and throws us kind of off our game again, that we're just going to we know how to respond. We know how to deal with it. And it's just not going to interrupt our lives the way that it has for most of us again. So that's that I feel good about that. And that, and I'm sort of like, I can live with that. You
0: know, I've been living with that and it's, it's okay. Right. Erin, pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Erin Alday is a health reporter at The Chronicle. For ongoing coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic, visit sfchronicle.com and The Chronicle app. A reminder, we're working on our episode that marks the two-year anniversary of the COVID-19 shutdown, and we want to hear from you. What's a change that you've made in your life during the pandemic that will stay permanent? Send us an email at podcasts at sfchronicle.com and tell us about the changes you've made that will stick. You can type it up or even better, email us a voice memo and you might hear yourself on fifth emission. That email address again is podcasts with an S at sfchronicle.com. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening.